We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Play action fake, throw over the middle, it's picked off the Browns have it. Flacco got hit, he rolls out of the hit, he runs it, then he throws it, and Ford caught it at the 30, at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5, he's still going, and he pulls his way in, touchdown, Jerome Ford, a play you will not believe. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Here are the Jets out of the shotgun, Simeon on fourth down, takes the snap, it over the middle, caught by Yaboa. He's at the 15. JOK's got him. Three, two, one. That's it. The Browns are going to the playoffs. The postseason is back in Cleveland. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Happy New Year to all of us, to all of you here at the OBR Film Breakdown. It's a brand new podcast where Andrew and I are going to discuss an extremely busy Sunday night. Sunday whole day really of football it wasn't the full slate because we got obviously a game on Saturday but it was a very busy Sunday of playoff movement I left last night Andrew watching a game that I thought you and I uh, hit pretty well with the thought of like the Vikings were somehow favored to beat the Packers which made no sense to us I will say I did leave really frustrated that Justin Jefferson needed 60 yards for me to make some money, and he had 59. I continue to think, I I don't know where you're at on this, but they're sending somebody into the future on these gambling lines. They're just doing it. (laughs) How on earth can can you have something where Aaron Jones and and Justin Jefferson need to go for 60 yards collectively, you know, from scrimmage? And Justin Jefferson ends up with 59. There's no, I have no other answer. So what's up, man? Happy New Year. There, that's my, uh, that's my rant. <laughs> Happy New Year to you. Yeah, I think the reason in retrospect that the Vikings were favored is because the books had the inside information that Kirk Cousins was going to be shirtless mm. pregame leading the, you, the crowd in a skull chant. Yeah, I, I think that's, to me, that kind of sums up everything you need to know about why they were favored. And, and uh, obviously, yeah, it went the way we thought it would go, which was, uh, it's nice occasionally to have a, feel like you 
kind of ha- know what's coming with an NFL game. One out of 256 or whatever isn't bad, right? <laughs> yeah, if you listen to our picks we make every weekend, we're not great at this. I mean, we're, we're, we're average. <laughs> NFL-wise, we're, we're flipping better, better than college. But yeah. we, uh, we, we get some right, we get some pretty brutally wrong. We're going to talk about those now. I will say this as we lead off in talking about results of other teams' games. There was a, a, an alternate reality here, Andrew, where we needed several outcomes to go in specific directions on this exact Sunday, mm-hmm. and we could have been extremely fr- – it could have been a horrible Sunday for football. But the ability on this Sunday as we're watching teams that we want to see fade into oblivion for the most part, right. continue to fight, scratch, make things happen for them, the ability to put your hands behind your head and say none of this stuff matters – because the Browns have already done what they need to do was a really cool feeling, a unique feeling we haven't had in a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the only game that, so it's in a theoretical world where the Browns say they lose to the Jags and the Texans, right? Say Stroud doesn't get hurt. And, and that Jags game goes different, or I mean the bears game, whatever. And, and they're sitting on seven wins bunched up with all these other teams. Uh, The only result that went the Browns way yesterday was the chiefs beating the Bengals. Everything else went, the way that if if the Browns were worried about seeding, they would have they would have been upset to see they would have taken care of business against the Jets and then sat back all weekend and watched almost every result go against them to the point where Sunday would be the the must win of all must wins in Cincinnati and I think I think in that scenario the Bengals would still be alive for a playoff spot as well so it I you're absolutely right there was a time four weeks ago or something where I was doing the math coming down the stretch and I was like. If they're at ten and seven, yeah, their conference record at that point was not strong enough to get them in on tiebreakers. And the mm-hmm. point I was making was they need to be at least eleven and six to guarantee themselves a playoff spot. Well, guess what, Jake? They are eleven and five, which means they can lose on Sunday and still get into the playoffs. They're guaranteed the five seed without doing too much of a victory lap. I think it was pretty clear that they needed to be a game up going into the last week for this all to feel really comfortable and. They're very fortunate that they were able to to do that. They deserve a ton of credit. They're on a four-game winning streak. And when you look at how some of these other teams up until this weekend have struggled down the stretch, the Colts have been up and down. The Jags obviously went through a long losing streak. The Chiefs can't seem to barely beat anybody. They finally got one last night. You, you feel really good about where the Browns are at, not just because of how they're playing on both sides of the ball, but because they're hot. They're winning games. They are as hot as the Ravens. Speaking of which, we should just dive into that one, which is you and I have been going uh, kind of back and forth for weeks here on, I think, dating back to when the Ravens were playing the game before the Rams game, uh, um, the the Chargers game before their yep. bye, yep. that this is a game that they could lose. They need to lose a certain number of games in a certain period of time. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I guess the Ravens are pretty good and they kept winning all of them. They went a close one over the Rams. Obviously, they win two games that we thought they could have lost uh, between this Dolphins outcome and the 49ers outcome. They win the division and literally hats off, clap your hands. The Ravens deserve to win the division. I think that they, they, they did enough to prove that they were the best team and and they're getting league wide NFL respect as the best team in the NFL. So you can't really, yeah, yeah. You can't really uh, be upset that the Ravens were getting uh, air quotes lucky here, but they're 56 to 19 uh, drudging of the Dolphins. It's ironic. The Dolphins did what to, to Denver, who's still alive in the playoff on 70 to 20 earlier right. this year. And then they had a losing late in the year, 56, 19. The Dolphins are down Bradley Chubb. Now they have no edge rushers that matter anymore. The Dolphins are dealing with some injuries um, of their own and their own issues, but 
it's it's again another example of like the Ravens are really good yes. and they deserve credit. We're giving them the credit, but it's also kind of like we should be aware that they're not getting necessarily everybody's best shot at the right time. You you know what I mean? It's not meant to take things away from them, but you laid this out before the show, Andrew, and I think you, you said it well. They're not they're not necessarily getting peak versions of these teams they're playing against other than the Browns right. who I thought were at the right time, kind of hitting their stride with Watson before, mm-hmm. you know, what happened after that game. But yeah, this is something where I feel there's a world because the Ravens close with the Steelers. They're already locked into the one seat. They're going to get the buy. There's just a world here where, you know, the Ravens could start to feel themselves a little bit. And, and it's like, did they really deserve all of that? Right? Like, did they yeah. deserve, to feel like they're 20, 30 points better than the 49ers or they're 20 points better, 30 points better than the Dolphins. Right. The The way to say it is that the Ravens have not taken a bunch of teams' best shots. They have not been in a bunch of close games. And now I know culturally, long-term, the coach has been, the quarterback has been, but this season they have not been, right? They they have, if you look at their recent results, obviously blew the Dolphins out yesterday, 12-point victory over the 49ers, 16-point victory over the Jaguars. They, they win in overtime against the Rams on that punt return. That was the last close game they played in. Prior to that, the, the game before that that was close was their loss to the Browns. So is, I'm not saying that this is like their kryptonite, but I am saying that they have succeeded in such a way by, by really running up the score on teams in such a way that it creates this feeling of a team that is in a different class from the rest of the league. I don't feel from watching the games that that is accurate. I thought that there was a clear path to the 49ers beating the Ravens in that game two weeks ago. I I, I wasn't able to watch much of the Dolphins-Ravens game yesterday with, with travel, but you know I know that the Dolphins are capable of playing better than that against the team. I, I, I watched the Jaguars-Ravens game. The Ravens didn't get a great shot from the Jaguars. Nobody was through that stretch. My only point here is that it is natural in the NFL – that the media wants to find a behemoth, a machine that is like these guys can't can do no wrong. I'm looking at on ESPN right now, Rex Ryan, his quote, no one can beat the Ravens. So that that's what they're saying, right? Is is that there's there's a bunch of teams kind of all mixed up together, and then there's one team that's just far and away the best, and that's the Ravens. And I've watched the NFL for a long time. You remember some of those Patriots teams that had that feeling? Uh, I think even some of the Chiefs teams in more recent years, it was like, well, I don't see how anybody's going into Arrowhead and beating this team. I have no trouble imagining the Bills, the Browns. I probably wouldn't say the Dolphins now after what they just did yesterday. <laughs> but uh, I have to, <laughs> a, a few of these playoff teams, I have no trouble imagining a few of these playoff teams walking into, I think even the, even the Chiefs, honestly, on, on the right yeah. week because of what Mahomes can do. I have no trouble imagining those teams going into Baltimore and winning a game. So it, this to me is not that team. It is not that we don't have to have a juggernaut in the NFL. It's, there's no law that says that one team has to be a, a odds on prohibitive favorite to win the Super Bowl. The Ravens are hot as hell right now. They're blowing teams out credit to them, but I don't see a team that is naturally just yards and miles ahead of every other team in the league. That's not what I'm seeing on the field. I think that's fair. The Browns aren't afraid of them. We've talked about that. They played them. They know how to give them their best shot. They're not afraid of Lamar. I think that there are some of these teams who are just not exposed to the Ravens quite as often who get a little starstruck. I mean, it's not starstruck necessarily, but they're just like, 
all right, that's Lamar Jackson, and, and we don't see him very often, and and they can sort of fold up, or or the game plan can go a little sideways. Whereas teams like the Browns, who've run into him several times, I feel very confident that they know how to handle him. And I remain optimistic, Andrew, as we look at potential upcoming matchups, that if they do go on the road in the divisional round and play the Ravens, they will give them a really good shot. A really Absolutely. good shot. So Absolutely. I'm with you. I don't think that they are necessarily a team that is rightfully a, a 15 to, to, to 20 point better uh, football team than some of these that they're facing, but they have won these games in that fashion. So that's the credit that they deserve. So it's not like uh, either of us here are bothered that they're getting the credit that they're getting, but I don't, uh, to Andrew's point, see them as being that much better than the other teams. So let's continue in the, um, the AFC North, the Steelers. I would have put, I'm not a gambling man uh, on, on serious money, right? They're like, I'll you know, put five bucks here and there. But if I were to make a serious bet, I would have bet that the Steelers would have lost this game. Um, they go down to out to, they travel to way West and, and beat Seattle 30 to 23, a game Seattle really needed to, in their playoff situation. They're up against it a little bit now, more than they would have liked to have been. I believe they would have been on the cusp of clinching had they won that game. The Steelers run in this game for 202 yards, 75 from Jalen Warren, 122 from Najee Harris. Mason Rudolph throws for 274 yards. I don't know what to say. I am genuinely stunned they won that football game, and they hit 9-7. and seven. So the Steelers' situation is pretty straightforward. The, the, uh, the Colts and Texans matchup doesn't matter to them. It is pretty much they beat Baltimore on the road which a game that Baltimore doesn't have anything riding on. They're already the one seed and clinched. And then they get the win, and then one of two things happens. Either the Dolphins beat the Bills or the Titans beat the Jags is their yep. way into the, to mm -hmm. the playoffs. And those, it's obviously a little more likely the Dolphins would beat the Bills than the Titans beating the Jags, but we'll see what the situation is with Trevor Lawrence this week. To, uh, to sort of see what that's ultimately going to look like for the best version of the Jags. But here they are, another winning season, and they're sitting at 9-7, and seven, and a, a real chance. It's not, you know, it's not guaranteed, but we know how things tend to bounce for Pittsburgh right. on these uh, sorts of things. So it's very realistic that they could be the seven seed facing whoever the two seed ultimately is, which in this case would be the Dolphins if yeah. the Dolphins beat the Bills. Yeah, so the, so the question here really is how much the Ravens want to rest guys considering they're already guaranteed a week off, right? So if the Ravens want two weeks off, they can have it. But but I think it's worth asking if that's the right course of action at, at this point in the season, considering, as we just said, how hot they are. I, I We'll talk about it with, in terms of the Browns in a little bit. I'm skeptical, have been for a long time, that giving players two weeks off from playing football is the best way to get ready for the playoffs. I think you have to accept a certain level of risk in the NFL. And part of that extends to keeping players ready to play football games. And I know everybody has a different philosophy on this. And obviously if Lamar Jackson were to play against Pittsburgh and tear his ACL, the recriminations would be comprehensive in Baltimore. But I also think, you you play you you get good at playing football by playing football. You don't get good at pl playing football by resting. So I, I'm I'm of the belief, I always have been, that you don't want to go into these games cold, especially with two weeks off. It's the same situation for the 49ers in the NFC. You're talking about taking a full 
two weeks, almost three weeks between the game yesterday and then when you play in the divisional round. That's a long, it's just a long time after these guys have gotten into a routine with their bodies every week. So that's the biggest question for the Ravens. Obviously, if the Ravens rest a bunch of their best players, the Steelers have a very good chance to win that game, even though it's in Baltimore. It's the first game on Saturday, so it will set the tone for the entire weekend. If the Steelers win, that turns that Sunday night Dolphins-Bills game into a win in your in, lose in your out game for the Bills, which is incredible. It's incredible. They could be the two-seater, be completely out of the playoffs. Exactly. Because it also rides on the Jags winning, but I think most of us are feeling relatively comfortable that the Jags are going to get that game done. They, so, they should, right? They should. Uh that's one thing when we were talking about our picks the other day is like, I, I just am, I was way too in on teams beating some teams that we, you know, had nothing on the, on the line, such as the Cardinals going into Philly, mm-hmm. knocking them off. Like I just completely underestimated the element of chaos in some of these games, but yeah, that bills game Sunday night is really, really big in mm-hmm. the grand scope of things that the bills could come back and ultimately be the two seed is crazy to think about the chiefs uh, secure the AFC West. Uh, we saw the Colts knock off the Raiders. We saw the Texans look more like themselves and handle business against the Titans. That is also a really big game, Andrew. That is a uh, a matchup to essentially uh, put themselves in the playoffs. Right? I think one of those two teams between the, this this Texans Colts matchup makes the playoffs. The other one's likely out again. Everything's riding on the Jags winning. If the Jags lose, I don't know. Do you know offhand if the Jags lose, does the, does that team, the loser of Colts Texans, get in above the Jags? Because they would have the same record. Because all three AFC South teams are nine and seven that the Browns have beat. Right. So there's a there's a scenario here where the Jags lose, and the what I'm seeing is if the Texans win, I'm sorry, if the the Jags lose, the Steelers win, and the Bills win, then you've got Bills at two, the winner of Texans Colts at four. The Dolphins at six and the Steelers at seven. So that Texans-Colts game becomes a a winner wins the division, loser is out, and only one AFC South team makes it. That's crazy. So that would be the scenario where the Bills win and the Steelers win, but the Jags lose. So that's plausible, right? And then at that Mm -hmm. point, that Texans-Colts game is for the division title and the other two AFC South teams are sitting at home watching. Yeah, so things can move quickly there for who the Browns are going to ultimately end up playing in that four seed. But yeah, know that... There is a um, and actually, ha- sorry, ahead. sorry to interrupt, but that's true. Also, if the Dolphins beat the Bills, so if the Jags lose, the Dolphins beat the Bills, the Texans Colts outcome is still division winner or the winner of that game wins the division. The loser goes home. The Jags and that team would be sitting at home. Yeah, because the, the Jags hi- be the six seed. The Jags' highest odds here are sixty nine point four percent to be the four seed. Right. Their odds to be the seven seed are lower than both the Colts and the Texans. Mm-hmm. They actually have teams listed that could potentially be the seven seed. The highest percentage odds to be the seven seed are the Bills at 27.6%. And then it works downhill from the Steelers at 20.1, Colts at 19.9, uh, and then uh, the Texans at 18.7. The Jags have to, if the Jags lose, they're done. Mm-hmm. They're, they're done. Um so that's your that's your highest odds. So if you're talking like who are the Browns most likely to play, it sits like looking like the Browns are going to make a trip down south to play the Jags. Yep. And if the Jags lose, you're facing the winner of that Colts Texans game, which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about which of those we prefer to see yeah. in just a minute. But that's where these things are sort of heading. So uh, seating wise, it's funny though you are looking at the Bills, who are like fifty four point seven percent to be the two. 
and then uh, you know sort of outside looking in essentially the six and seven are lower odds because the dolphins odds are pretty good right to be one of two seeds either the two seed at 45.3 percent they're obviously saying predicting forecasting that the bills are better and they're going to win that game if they lose right the dolphins are likely to be a six seed yeah the dolphins can't miss they're they've clinched a playoff spot at least yeah, so the Dolphins are sitting either second or sixth, and they're a team that looms, as the Bills were when we kind of made up some hypothetical, how do the Browns like weirdly get a home game in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. If the Dolphins were to win you know, their opening round six seed against the three seed uh, situation here, you know, the three seed looks like it's going to be KC. They go into KC, they get a win, yeah. and then they would play, you know, whoever the uh, – because the Browns are going to ultimately – the 5-4 is going to go to the one most likely. So – you well, know, the in, the, in the event that the Dolphins won, then the Dolphins would have to go to Baltimore and beat yeah, the Ravens. They get a they get a the Browns would go to Buffalo. Browns would get a Buffalo scenario. So that's the path of the Browns, like hosting an AFC Championship game, sort of thing. So if the Browns were to, you know, ultimately host an AFC Championship, you're looking at who are the six seven. It's the loser of the Bills Dolphins that remains. Like that team could make a run into a specific situation that puts them in an upset scenario against the Ravens, you could see them potentially being a team that, um, you know, a team that the Browns could host in an AFC championship. So long story short, your Browns could host a playoff game at some point. The only real scenario where that's plausible would be the Browns hosting an AFC championship game against the loser of Dolphins Bills then upsetting the, the the Ravens in the second round and the Browns taking care of business there. So there if is. you're wanting to figure out how do they ultimately get to host a playoff game, that's the that's the most logical Root for one. chaos. Root for chaos, indeed. All right, so uh, the only thing that we should hit on before we close because we kind of covered the AFC South is the, is the Bengals. They, they played themselves uh, an ugly contest down there in KC. Again, Kansas City just can't score. It's kicking a bunch of field goals in that game. But that's good enough to ultimately beat the Bengals, and the Bengals are eliminated. I mean, I'll give the Bengals credit. They they fought. They could have caved after losing Joe Burrow, who is, you know, I think the Browns are sorting out with Watson if he's the guy that they lean on. I think it's fair to say Burrow is pretty damn entrenched as the guy that they lean on. So losing Burrow is pretty serious to their season. They could have folded a couple different times, but they didn't. But you also get a real taste of, like, what's the limitations of someone like Jake Browning that's playing out in real time where he just can't even – can't even get rid of the football in key moments, just hanging on to it forever. So yeah, he ate a lot of sacks down the down the stretch there that were that really kind of ruined their chances of staying on schedule in drives. He just he kind of caved. Yeah. Burrow played ten games for the Bengals this year. So just by comparison, you know, obviously Watson's at five starts mm-hmm. or six starts, but the Colts game kind of doesn't count. So Listen, the I don't feel an ounce of sorrow for the Bengals. They've had no. some really good runs the past few years, but uh, it was uh, it was just noteworthy that their their season is done. So that that makes things interesting for week eighteen. Andrew, neither yep. team has anything on the line here. Browns are locked into the five. The uh, you know the the Bengals season is done. I'll be interested to see how many guys from Cincinnati play in this one because yep. like literally, there's not these two teams could just not show up to the stadium and take a tie mm-hmm. or both lose. Right, and the the outcome would change nothing. So. Right. The Browns is actually the second time in three years this is the outcome, right? Two mm-hmm. years ago, they played the Bengals in the final week of the year, and they had nothing. No, there was nothing involved for either team. Bengals already wrapped up the division at that point, 
and the Browns were already further, uh, f- far into the elimination realm. So ha- that, that happy was to be on that, the other side of that this year. <laughs> very happy to be on the other <laughs> side of that. Uh, if I recall, that was when Baker decided to pack it in a little early for the season. That's correct. That's start. the season where he felt like he didn't really want to play that last week because he got uh, hung out to dry in Pittsburgh the week before. So, um, yeah, it's such a good reminder, Jake, honestly. Like, it's not fun to think about 2021 or 2022. Those were upsetting years. But it is a good reminder of where the Browns have been, even recently, right? And one of the reasons why we needed to see what we have seen from this team this year is because we hadn't seen it the past two years. They folded down the stretch in 21. There's no there's no other way to put it. And that was on the quarterback and the head coach not being able to get along. The star wide receiver forcing himself out of off the roster midseason. And it it sucked because that was a year where the Browns had enough talent in my mind that they deserved to be a playoff team. But their their inability to play as a team cost them the ability to play in the playoffs. And this yeah. is the exact opposite of that this year. Yeah, they couldn't overcome the chaos of that exactly. season. Exactly. And this is a team that has done nothing but overcome chaos since the, the beginning of the season, basically. Since, you know, you go back all the way to that first game in a rainstorm, they find a way to win that game. Then you go to week two and you lose your your talisman, your your best player in terms of just his overall skill level. Yep. And one of the team leaders, a guy that everybody relies on week in, week out, Nick Chubb, the most important piece of their offense, clearly. I think we learned that this year. And you you lose that game, and now you're staring at what the rest of the season looks like. And so, so since then, it has been all hands on deck, panic mode, but they haven't panicked. Fans panicked. <laughs> I definitely panicked at times. Justifiably. Yeah, but but the end result is that they have been stronger. I thought, did you see what Mike McDaniel said about the Browns? I did. I did. I commented on that, that everybody else is worried about what they've lost except for them. That was yeah. such a great quote. I, I think maybe we even talked about that on our previous show, but I, I just think it's such a great encapsulation of adversity being an opportunity, not a challenge. And I think that's great life advice. It's also really pertinent to football that if you look at the adversity that you are bound to face in an NFL season as an opportunity to become stronger as a team and mentally stronger individually, then the sky's really the limit. And that's really the, the thing that the Browns have taken on. So a little bit of a, a ramble there, but but inspired by the fact that it is so it's hard for fans when you come into a season expecting a playoff berth. And then you have to come down the stretch here with games that mean literally nothing. So, like you said, no, no, I don't necessarily feel sorry for Bengals fans. They've had a great ride recently. But I am very much enjoying being on this side of the fence this time around. The question will be just how much the, the Bengals don't care about this game, right? And, right. and how, like, the tanking stuff. Because they, they should just be trying to trying to lose for the best pick that they could get. This game means nothing to win other than maybe you're just trying to like reverse your narrative against the Browns, which I do understand. You know, I think we talked about like, you know, something about the Browns and they see the Bengals, they just think they're going to win. And I can understand why, why Zach and their group maybe just wants to go compete one more time, but maybe there's some decisions made from people above. We always talk about tanking usually comes from the front office uh, as they try to chase a higher pick in the teens. Maybe they don't play, but I think there's a discussion around who you would like the Browns to play in this game. Andrew, I think, I think that's what it comes down to. Do, do you want to keep Flacco and the offense out there humming, playing together, getting as many reps as possible, and a guy who's only been out there for five games? Uh, I think there's risk to that. Do you want him to play the first half of the game, everybody, to just kind of keep yourselves fresh, locked in, play that first half, and then second half, 
where things fall or where they fall. And then there's also the question of like, do they even have enough depth to be doing this anyway? Right. They, they, do they have enough guys to, we saw what happened against the Texans when they put out a lot of the second group. Right. And there's also the element of like keeping the win streak moving in the right direction where there's a belief that no matter what you're going to win. So what the Browns do is going to be interesting. I think the Bengals will have a lot of their core pieces, their two receivers, you know, you're, you're, you're making some big decisions on T Higgins in the off season. Mm-hmm. The last thing you would like to have is T Higgins tear an ACL, mm-hmm. right? You want Bur- Burrow to come back healthy. The last thing you want is a long-term injury to Jamar chase that, that lingers into the start of next season. I think it's obvious where the Bengals will be going, but the Browns are playing for continuity. They're playing for reps that they're very valuable to them. Having 10 days off helps maybe make this decision, but just like as you think about immediate reaction to that question, Andrew, like what would you prefer them to do with this game um, one way or the other? Well, I kind of tipped my hand earlier talking about the Ravens. I, I really have seen enough examples of teams resting players and, and not showing up the, the next week for the playoffs that I'm not in a hurry to rest guys, period. Uh, I, I, if, I think if I was the head coach, I would probably play the first half straight up, no rest, and then – maybe put some guys on the bench, a few select guys on the bench for the second quarter, second half, right? Like Miles, Miles can sit down. Maybe you sit down Batonio and Flacco, put the backup quarterback in. But I'm not in a hurry to to have I, – I the idea of going into this game with your best five, six players inactive, I, I don't – that doesn't sit right with me because I just think we, – uh, we, we mentioned this obliquely a week or two ago. I, I touched on it. Kevin Stefanski's mantra all year has been go one and oh the next week. I, I just think it's a little weird to ask the team to all of a sudden be like, you can go oh and one this week. It's fine. So yeah. it's chill. Yeah. It's yeah. chill. Don't worry about it. Next week, though, I mean it. But this week, it's fine. And I know I know there's a strong disagreement out there. A lot of people feel very differently about this. And that's like I see the argument for both sides. I really do. But the Browns have proven this year that injuries, while they are unfortunately a central part of the NFL mm-hmm. are also not a death sentence. And obviously you could make the case that losing miles Garrett this week for the playoffs would be a death sentence for the Browns. I understand that. However, I, I do think that the value of continuing their hot streak, playing well, continuing a winning streak, finishing the season with a, what would they end up having here? Jake, a five and one record in the division, four and two, because they lost the Steelers. They lost the Steelers, and the Ravens. So they'd be four and two in the division. I think that stuff matters. I think it matters to go beat a Bengals team and go into the playoffs on a five-game winning streak. I really do. So that's where I stand on it. I'm not opposed to guys sitting once the game is, you know, the Browns get a 10-point lead and they're just running the ball. Sit down your best guys. Fine with that. Absolutely fine with that. Even if it means you end up losing the game, right? Like if if it if it's close and you lose, that's I think that's all right. But I, I think going in with the idea that you're shutting things down all week does not set you up the best to succeed next week. Because we're at a place, Jake, where I think I'll, – I'll get into this in a second. Go ahead and tell me what you think. I, I mean, I think they treat it like the final preseason game where you're really getting your tune-up. Your your first-string guys are out there for yeah. a quarter, quarter and a half. I don't think you do anything tricky. I don't think you do anything that's going to reveal how you want to play the rest of the way in the playoffs because you're putting t- stuff on tape for – the Colts, Texans, or Jaguars to potentially use against you. So I think it's going to feel like a playoff game, um, sorry, a preseason game for the Browns, like the final one where they they play a lot of their guys early on, first in multiple series, maybe even the first two quarters, but you're going to look schematically and be like, okay, they were very 
very vanilla. I actually think it's a great opportunity to get some run game reps for these guys to start to really get a feel like again, cause they're not, these guys aren't practicing full speed at the yeah. end of the season. Right. It's a lot of walkthroughs and scout team looks and, you know, you're trying to avoid injuries on the field, let alone the practice field, as we've talked about many times here. So live game reps of run scheme stuff would probably be pretty good for them. So I'm anticipating a very vanilla game plan, but the guys who are going to be a big part of the first round playoff matchup are going to be out there on the field for a portion of it. I don't think they're at the point where they can just punt this game away. Now, does that mean that, you know, leading up to this, I'll be disappointed if I hear Amari Cooper's inactive and and Flacco's only going to be out there for once. I, I don't think they can handle this incorrectly. I think they're at the point where they feel like they know who they are more than they've ever known who they are. So I won't be bummed if they don't play Miles and Amari and some of these others. But I also think that they could just really use the reps in some of these spots that could benefit them in the way a preseason game benefits, like a real live tune-up before you go play your first game of the season. So that's kind of what I'm expecting is that the rest thing doesn't mean that they're not playing suiting these guys up, but they're going to give them an extended portion of this game off is my hunch, but I could be totally wrong. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of getting them ready, keeping them active, keeping them on their schedule, but not putting them through a full game, the rigors of a full game. I think that's a, a pretty good compromise, honestly, to get what you want to get done. The only tricky part that I I'm thinking about this is you have to declare some of these players inactive. So so if you make all your best players active, you're losing some of that depth when you do want to sit some guys down a little bit later. So how they balance those two things will be interesting. But I, I agree with you in, in the sense that unless anybody's – so the other thing to say here is if somebody's carrying something. Like Cooper didn't play last week, so probably you don't play Cooper this week. Same with Moore, right? Give those guys an extra week to get right. Yeah. So if somebody's carrying an injury into this game, why well, risk like, it? There's 24 guys on the. Well, I know, I know, but I, I do think that's I do think that's worth yeah. saying, right? Because yeah. I, I like I would be fine with Cooper give it, getting an extra week to be ready. Also, just because of who he is as a veteran, you trust that he's able to do that. So, even as I'm, we're talking about this, I'm kind of changing my tune a little bit. But uh, it, it's tough. <laughs> it's, I, I don't. I tell is, you what, I don't envy them the decision because it is a tough decision. It's kind of a lose lose. <laughs> you don't want to take your team out of this rhythm that the special rhythm they're in, but you also have this really rare opportunity to get their bodies to feel better going into the next one. So you're weighing out: do we want to feel better or do we want to keep the rhythm going? that we have. And honestly, Andrew, I think this is a situation where you're sitting your core leadership group of your team down and asking them what they prefer. Like th point. this is to me, not a coaching staff only decision. Mm -hmm. I would be talking with the key group of my players about how they feel about going about this game because they'll give you the direction of the team. They'll know whether they think the guys need rest or whether they say, Hey, we want to keep this thing going. Right. And that, that outcome of that conversation weighs heavily into what they ultimately do. That's what I would love to see. And I'm presuming they'll hopefully do. Yeah, that's such a great point, Jake, that this is not a conversation that can only happen at the front office level. This can't be this can't be handed down from Andrew Barry, Paul DePodesta, whomever, to say the analytics show and I'm not trying to raise analytics here as a bogeyman, but I'm just yeah. saying the the data shows that it doesn't matter whether you rest players or not. Let the players make that decision. I think that's a great way to put it. And it and it, then it, that gives you confidence that if they say, Yeah, we we really would love the rest, then you're kind of putting the onus back on them going into the next week. Well, you guys got the week off, so let's fucking go now. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then if they take the onus of we want to play, 
then there's ownership of playing a hundred percent and not going through the Precisely. motions and getting themselves hurt. Right. Precisely. So I, I lean toward, I think a lot of the guys are going to want to play. I, I really think they're enjoying winning. I think they're enjoying the feeling it's providing. And uh, I'm, I, I, this is ultimately a meaningless game and there's like meaningless decisions being made here, but I, I'm, I'm curious the direction they go because I think we can learn something about how these guys sort of are uh, kind of wired and especially connected as a team based on uh, based on the outcome of who's playing and who's not, you know? Well, and I think, I think like you said before with the running game, it gives them an opportunity to work some stuff that they feel they need to work. We've talked extensively about trying to find somebody to add to this roster. They've got John Kelly on the practice squad. If you want to sit down Jerome Ford, for example, or Kareem Hunt, because he's your veteran there, do you, do you, is there a, uh, do you see it as kind of a double opportunity where you get somebody some rest and get a look at somebody else that you maybe would want to potentially add to the playoff roster. Because I think I they can't, I mean, you even as much as you you know it's one game at a time in the playoffs, you also would like to have a sense that you're you're gearing up for something here, right? That it's you're gearing up for another season, which is yeah. the way that Stefanski's talked about it. So you want to be prepared for the eventuality that you need somebody for one of these games because you're trying to play four of them. I also think there's merit to just being successful running the ball. They've been so unsuccessful it's a for so many weeks. Yeah, like, oh, okay, we can do this. We can break these loose. We can have run game efficiency. We, you know, instead of in the huddle when we call wide zone or duo or whatever, and it's like uh, dead play. No, we can we can pop this for five, six yards and make it a shorter second down, right? And I think that some of that stuff might be a part of what they consider as well. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we come back from break. we got a couple topics we want to hit on. On the way out, including uh, which team we prefer the Browns to play in the first round, then some early all-pro buzz. We want to hit on that, too. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So, why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. A couple quick things, Andrew, uh, as we kick off the second half here is uh, I see that the Bradley Chubb, uh, the, the talented edge rusher for the Dolphins, uh, it was reported that he tore his ACL non-contact injury. That's two non-contact injuries for the Dolphins to their best pass rushers, an ACL for Chubb and then a uh, an Achilles for Jalen Phillips. I don't even want to make the equivalent of what that would be for the Browns. I don't even want to say it out loud. Yeah. But that is, uh, yeah. you know, I know the Dolphins have had some really fun moments this year, but yeah. those are two just gut wrenching injuries to the, yeah. to the to an important part of like how you win games with pass rush, you know. Right, especially considering where they're at, what they have coming up in in week eighteen, and and what happened to them in the playoffs last year. They had to play in the playoffs with Skylar Thompson as their quarterback because of quarterback injuries. There's there there's the level of injury tolerance where you endure injuries all season, like the Browns have. There's a different level of injury tolerance where something bad happens to you right on the verge of the playoffs, and it changes yeah. who you are as a team, and you don't have time to adjust. Obviously, so the Dolphins have a must win game, not a must win, but a You'd really, really like to have it on on Sunday against the Bills. And so they've got to adjust to that on the fly. Uh, If the Dolphins were to beat the Bills and then the Texans upset the Chiefs or whoever, the Colts, whoever was in that 6-3 game, that team would go to the Ravens. The Browns would have a second-round game in Miami against a a fairly depleted Miami team. It's just worth thinking about this time of year. The path path that the Browns go down here. You you hate to focus on it from an injury standpoint. Yeah. But... It, it is just worth mentioning that one of the paths that the Browns could could end up having to walk here goes through Miami, and they are a team that I, I think is probably not feeling so great about where things are at right now. No, that's nothing nefarious, I don't think. It's just like a gladiator sport, and it's a part of the conversation. You, you know, these guys being down, two really, really talented guys. Now, the good part is the, the recovery on these things are better you know, there was a time in football where an ACL tear was like, you're done. Your career yeah, is over. Career like, you, these yep. guys will get back on the field. Mm-hmm. They'll get back out there. They'll play again. Uh, but for the situation of like, like you laid out where one of the seeds behind the Browns were to, uh, 
to upset, right? Then then it would be interesting to see the Browns go down to Miami and play those guys without two talented edge rushers. That's what give the Browns the biggest fit is guys rushing off the edge with these two backup tackles. So yeah, we're monitoring that. It's worth discussing, but the 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 Dolphins have a real uphill task. But again, we watched the Bills limp to a victory over the Patriots again. I don't think that Bills team is good. No. I think they're the worst to phrase it right, they're the worst good team I've seen. Yeah. They don't make a ton of sense. Whereas the Browns are maybe the the best of the bad teams because you would look at a lot of the injuries. We've kind of said that. Yeah. Like it's some the things don't make sense here. Mm-hmm. But I, I just with the Bills, like you you look at that game, you look at where the Dolphins are, you look at all the injuries, you're like, that's a Bills win. That's an yes. easy win. Yeah. But that's down in South Beach. That's again the Dolphins trying to rally, come together, and and do something right. Everything's on the line for them. I'm just that's not as in the bag game as some people like to think it is. I, I just will be very interested to see how the Dolphins sort of react to that because I think that Bills team is just driven by the name Josh Allen, given a lot of respect, and I totally. don't think they deserve that still. No, I think that's absolutely fair. And their advanced metrics have been really strong this year. While they have lost games, obviously they're hot right now. They're on a winning streak. That's going to probably deliver them the playoffs here if everything continues to go but i i i think i i there was an interesting thing going around twitter yesterday of of who the if you had to and i'll ask you because this is a this is a good one so you're betting your life savings not on one team but on four teams so you got to pick four teams of the current playoff crowd or the, mm. the overall playoff crowd to win the super bowl i'll just tell you who i went first yeah, i went it. i went 49ers ravens bills browns so I'm betting I'm betting my life that these teams are going life savings, to, not your life. We don't, okay. we don't need to be yeah. more. Just 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 your money. Just your money. Yeah, yeah you get to pick how you die. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so it's like a group of of the teams that you feel I have the best shot at it. Okay, I will say, boy, is it hard? You're you're putting me on this Browns podcast to not say I the know. Browns. I know you already said them. So, yeah. um, I think I would take the Ravens. I think I would take the 49ers. Something about Philly still tells me I should take Philly, but I'm actually not. I think I have gotten to the point now that I believe Dallas is better than Philly. Wow. So I will take Dallas. Whoa. Yeah. This is well, huge for I, Jake. It is a huge turn the page thing for me. I, I Something about Philly, man. There is a real disconnect going on down there. And then I still think I don't want to make anyone mad. I love the Browns chances here, but it's still Patrick Mahomes and there's still games that guys haven't been in quite like him. Mm -hmm. He understands those moments. So I would lean into the chiefs a little bit more, even though I think this is the most vulnerable chiefs team we've seen in a long time. That's probably the ones that I would most comfortably pick at the Browns sitting right outside looking in. Yeah. Uh, That that's, that's my group. That's a good question. uh, Yeah, for sure. Well, it's a really good way to think about it. I think because one of the things that I came away with it, from it with was the idea that there's not another team in the NFC mm-hmm. that I that I like the same way that I like the 49ers. I felt good about the Rams until the Rams like just went into San to New York and laid an egg and almost yeah. lost that game. Right. So I, I and I think that they're on the fringe of that discussion, but I think it's very hard. Part of what you're talking about is the path, right? Because they would have to beat. They're going to have to go on the road for all three games. There's a very little chance that a six or seven seed is going to have a home game. So yeah. you've got to go on the road extensively. And you've got to play all the best teams. They probably have to go through the Colts, or sorry, the Cowboys, the Lions, and the 49ers just to get to the, in some combination, to get to the Super Bowl. So that makes it harder for them, I think, 
Then are the Lions being slept on in the NFC? I mean, they went into Dallas and won. By all accounts, yes, they won. They won that, that football that, game. Yeah. That officiating stuff was bad. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really comment on that because we haven't pod uh, together. Yep. But is it we haven't potted? We haven't <laughs> pod together. That sounds strange. Doesn't How about it? recorded? We haven't recorded together. That fits a bit more naturally. Uh, I think the is there a conversation that needs to be had about the Lions being better, or is it still tied to like Jared Goff makes me nervous, but that it, last drive from defense. Goff was, was really good. And I thought their defense, though, was – I mean, they couldn't cover CeeDee Lamb at all, but yeah. they only gave up 20 to the – No, to, I, to, I, I know, I know, but, but it's the Cowboys. So I – the way that I see this is teams, that – By the way. <laughs> <laughs> which I can't – I still am in shock about that. I think I'm looking at different playoff scenarios right now, and the one I've got up is the Rams going into Dallas uh, in the wild card round, and I would absolutely be picking the Rams in that game. Without yeah. a doubt, I think Dallas at home is a is is a team I trust a little bit more than the Rams, but that's a good game. I really want to see that Rams Detroit. Oh, agreed, game. agreed. That that's the fun. one everybody wants to see. But but I think I think the Cowboys are vulnerable. I said this from the preseason: the Cowboys will have a good year, and then they will absolutely blow it in the playoffs. It's it, that was my preseason guarantee, and they are very much on track. You, what I hope, Jake, is that they get a game, whether it's the first round or the second round, they get a game as a long favorite at home, and I, I will go against them with force because that is that's where it happens. That is how it happens. I know they have played well at home, but there is an offensive inconsistency because the play caller doesn't know how to constantly find his best matchups. And there's a defensive inconsistency because I think some injuries and some of yeah. the way that they play, that they're very gettable. They're very gettable, and I'm looking for that opportunity that they can be got. Well, that that's funny because we were talking about Dallas potentially not winning the uh, the division and then having to maybe go play Tampa Bay. Well, Tampa right. Bay plays in a, a home <laughs> game to get clinched into the playoffs, and they land <laughs> in New Orleans. So, right. so NFC, to go back the NFC, to the Super Bowl <laughs> question, I think the 49ers are a tier above the rest of these NFC teams. But, 100%. But I, yeah. I do want to talk about the Detroit-Dallas thing because that is the most clear-cut example that I can think of, Jake, since that bad Hail Mary call way back when of a clear-cut decision that changes the result of a game one way to the other. Because there's 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 virtually no chance that the Dallas is able to get a field goal there. I think it was like 20 seconds, something like that, yeah. tw- 25. It would have been brutal, yeah. And no timeouts. So you're talking, you're talking about basically the Lions have won the game. And because the official doesn't know how to do his job, the Lions lose the game. And that combined with the Eagles losing that upset loss to the Cardinals means that the, the Lions... That loss cost them a shot at the one seed. So you're talking about a a single result that is entirely down to officiating being the difference in in how your team... And so the question I have for you, Jake, is if this is the Browns... Yeah, that's always the way to go. If this is the Browns... It felt something Browns, didn't it? It did. It did. And and can't you just see Kevin Stefanski in that post-game press conference having to patiently explain to Grossi or whomever else uh, what they did, but not wanting to say too much, but yeah. not, but not wanting to blame somebody else, but not knowing how to navigate, and the players have all got his back, but nobody can come right out and say that the official screwed it up, and so we're trying. Some people in the media are trying to point fingers at Kevin Stefanski, and other people are going hard at the officials, and it's just a week full of backbiting and chaos. It it genuinely, I think, could shape Detroit's season from here on out. I, it hopefully they come together from that adversity. But yeah. man, oh man, I think having the rug pulled out under you like that, because that, that was like 
a minute after that ball was completed that there was a flag. It wasn't it wasn't that the graphic was on the screen as yeah. he's catching it and you're like, okay, yeah. this might be coming back. I was I was already past celebrating and, and looking at my phone to see Twitter reaction and everything else. And and then you then you hear uh Joe Buck say that there's a flag. Well then now they're going back more and more to look at the replay for like guys on the field and like I just don't know where it stops sometimes yes, because agreed. the number of players on the field, the I'm like, are they going to start looking up illegal formations and replays? Like, right. That, that's the stuff that's been confusing to me. So I wasn't understanding of what happened at first. So right. if you look at it, all I'll say is this, the official screwed it up. Yes. According to what everybody says happened on the field. But if you do look at it, I understand what the lines are trying to do. They're running multiple linemen to the official to tell him, one of them to tell him he's he's uh, the 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 uh, the guy reporting. So if the official who in the pool report after did not do this, he should have done what he thought. If number 70 had been coming on all game and reporting as the guy who was going to be the eligible receiver. If he got into this brain pattern of seeing number 70 come into the game, come over to him because the 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 whole thing from the lion side was we're going to have 70 come in the whole game to do this role. It's like Michael Dunn for the Browns. Michael Dunn, Michael Dunn, Michael Dunn. And then all of a sudden, they're going to send out Leroy Watson for this legal reception, right? Or who's the, I mean, you would say Garon Christian, the left tackle, would just report as eligible on this one play. It's pretty obvious that they did talk to to Dan Campbell about this play ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But my general point is, when you send three linemen over to talk to the official, it's a chance he could screw it up. My thing is, I understand that the official could screw that up because he gets in a brain pattern of saying 70 is the eligible receiver on the play, reporting as eligible. He screwed it up. That's fine. But you also do um, understand <laughs> that, that this shouldn't happen because you talk to him about it ahead of time. But if you run three guys at him, there is a chance this could get screwed up. But the thing that rubbed me the wrong way of all wrong ways about it, Andrew, is that the official, Brad, whatever his name is, um, after the game, didn't just say, I messed it up. Right. I I, yep. sa- I, know, I, mm-hmm. see, I realize now that 68 is the one who talked to me, but I had this pattern. He had a, like a Freudian slip. Did you notice that whole thing where he said the right uh, he said what he should have said. He screwed up. He said it, but he said it in a way to justify mm-hmm. his answer. So, like, I understand why the lines were doing it. You're exposing yourself to a little bit of risk, and and I think that you should obviously from Dan Dan Campbell didn't do anything wrong. I think that I'm sure Dan is mentally understanding how the mess up happened, and he's pissed because he told them this was going to be the exact scenario by which yeah. they do it, but. This is like the risk of that is the outcome. The worst risk of the outcome, which is very small, is what played out in real time. So like the question I have for you that comes off of this whole screw up, which is awful. And then the guy, the official not taking ownership of it after was even more awful. And then like the Lions can't say specific things because they don't want to get fined. So then they're just having to kind of be like very delicate about it. And the official, is it Brad Allen, his name? That's him. he can't say like he can just say, well, this is what I did and this is yep. what I so you guys can deal mm-hmm. with it. That was just very lack of a better word, shitty all around. Mm-hmm. But did Campbell screw up not kicking? Like he was so mad. Yeah, he was on tilt. That outcome, he was definitely on tilt. No he was like it was like somebody said that he was like the player at a blackjack table who hit a 20. And exactly. Just, and he hit me oh, absolutely. And like, sure. Yes. 
So yeah. the question I have is, does it do anything for his coach of the year candidacy by not being able in that? Because I do believe Kevin in that moment would have stepped back despite all the frustration and been like, just yeah. kick it. Yeah. We'll go to overtime. But I was like, what's the threshold for Campbell here of going for this? Right. Because I'm not going to lie. I had a couple things on a long shot parlay that if it would have went to overtime, it would have helped Jake out. I was a little pissed personally sitting in the living room, wanted a couple more Jameer Gibbs receptions. But like, I genuinely couldn't believe that he was just pushing the gas pedal down and saying, screw it, we're going to keep going. Not once. He got the full start. Or sorry, the encroachment happened or offside. Right, right. So that happened, and I'm like, okay, now he's got to slow down. There are three plays into this situation where you maybe have a player or two that you like. He's got to kick it. Some, he wouldn't do it. Wouldn't yeah. do it. And that's like a full-on example of a coach with a ability to remove his ego or anger in the moment mm -hmm. and i feel like kevin would have handled that better yeah kevin gets a ton of uh crap from the media and a certain section of the fan base for not being more emotional on the sidelines i think this is exhibit 1a of why sometimes being a little bit more level-headed can benefit you you know browns that group of browns fans has been a little bit openly envious of who dan campbell is yeah. his personality his fire this is an example of that fire hurting his team. And I understand it. He he said in his press conference that he told his team afterwards or you know at the beginning of that drive, we are going to go down the field, score a touchdown and go for two and win this game right here. He told them that. So he maybe feels like I made a promise to my team of what we're going to do, how we're going to play, and I have to keep that promise. But I also think there's a level of having a calm head and realizing we've been beating this Cowboys team for most of this game. If yeah. this game gets extended, I like our chances. And the most important thing here is that we win this game because we want home field advantage for as long as we can have it in the playoffs. And that is definitely should be a part of his consideration is that that game, more than most games they're going to play this season, had a direct bearing on where they get stacked in the playoffs and how that all gets seeded. So there's, there's a decent chance that the Lions are back there in Dallas and get a second shot at this whole thing. I didn't mind Campbell going for it originally, Oh, I, agree. I didn't mind him I agree. going for it on the third attempt. The only thing for me was like the seven yard line. You're risking this game to a seven yard play in a condensed. Those are the low red zone from the seven yard line is really challenging to score. And well, then and it's like, go ahead. You, re you remember too, that they, they called a timeout Cowboys did on their first two point try after the motion. And they showed a lot of the, right. So they probably movement. burnt. That was at the point that they went the, th the third time was probably their fourth best two-point yes. play at that point yes. if, if you're thinking about just yeah. the math of, of where that would be or maybe third was since still, the, even if yeah. it was an accurate ball he would have got in but again like yep. I don't mind them going for the ones at the two-yard line no problem with that but like when it got kicked back to the seven that's when you got to say okay let's just kick the thing because seven-yard play in this against a tough defense in the low yeah. red zone is really challenging to get right Mm -hmm. Again, but you know, you live and die by the sword. I'm not, I wouldn't have been mad if Kevin did it. If that was the Browns personally, I wouldn't have been mad if Kevin did that exact same thing. But I think from the seven, much like I had an opinion that they should have kicked the the, the field goal the other day to go up nine yeah. after the, the failed uh, efforts there. And then people were like, well, look what the defense did. They blow it. And I'm like, you know, hey, if they would have kicked off and stopped him at the 15 yard line, I think that that throw interception would have probably still been thrown by Trevor Simeon. I don't think right. it stops. And then you're up 16 first instead of, yeah. 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 No, I mean, 16 plus another defensive touchdown. I, I just, yes. there are times where process I over results. Bingo. So, all right, we covered it in full. All right. Three teams that are uh, possible the AFC South teams. Which one do you want? Which one do you prefer is the question. I think the Jags are, to me, 
the quite obvious one because of how beat up the quarterback is. And I think that yeah. they're, they're the most vulnerable of the group to me personally. I think their home field is the weakest mm-hmm. of the, of the group too. And obviously the, um, that all ties in together. And I, I think that the, just a, a way the Browns match up with them is best, or, or, but I'm curious if you have a different desire. No, I think that's it. I think it has to be it because I think that the, it was very clear from that first matchup that the Browns had stuff that they liked against that defense. Uh, I, I, I don't feel overly worried. Now I'm, I'm knocking on wood while I say this, I'm not overly worried about the offense, the Jags offense against the Browns defense. The matchup that would concern you is the, the Jags defense because they're pretty good against the run. As we saw in the first matchup, Mm -hmm. the matchup there that would concern you is that the Browns are offense is kind of stifled and unable to get things going. But I think that they, they found a lot of those matchups they liked against their linebackers. All that play action stuff was working so well that you got to feel like you go to that well again, the second time and it would still be there. Uh, So that, yeah, that's the one I lean towards. I think when we talked about this before, I, you know, the, the only, thing I'd say is I think the Browns fans would travel really well to Indianapolis for yeah. a, for a road game there. But yeah. having said reason, that, the, the Colts personnel scares me the least for of sure. All of them, because sure. like, I know they dice the Browns up the first time and I get that that could possibly happen again, but like Pittman's really beat up right now. It's still Gardner Minshew. If you can tighten up some of the situations where they put you in the RPO conflict, the Browns got better at that as the year went on. I don't think there's a world where the Colts are going to put up 39 points on you again, just me personally. So I think from a personnel standpoint, I view those guys as the one, but I do think the Jags are the team playing the worst of the lot for sure that I would, I would not mind. uh, I would not mind seeing them. The Texans just are like when CJ's right. I don't really love it. I don't love it, but these are three great teams to have to have a chance to play and the Browns are blessed there. Yeah, I mean, you, you also dodged Will Anderson the first time around, and he's playing really friggin' well right now. So you've, you know, I think he's the best best pass rusher. I, I like Josh Allen, but I think Will Anderson might already be at Josh Allen's level. Yeah, that's fair. And I think the Texans have enough scheme wise with their other personnel that they can get Anderson some looks. Whereas the Jags, you you really can't just focus on Allen because it's, there's not pass rush coming from anywhere else. So I don't think they have a first pick pass rusher anywhere else on their roster. It maybe could have been Aiden Hutchinson, but neither here nor there for Jags fans, I'm sure. Uh, how, how would you rank them? I'd go, I'd go Jags, Colts, Texans. Are you for in the sure. Same realm? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I would say that one and two are close. Yeah. Jags or Colts, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident. Texans is more of a 50 50 toss up. That's you, the that's Texans kind of... don't want to see that's Amari Cooper. Well, that's that a good right point. Now. There's a, that's so. a good point, but I, they are getting a little healthier on defense. And I do think the Stroud thing makes there there's every chance that the Browns and the, the Texans would just be matching touchdowns in that game. Yeah, and that awesome. is a stressful way to live in the playoffs. It is. Well, it's a good, it's a good outcome uh, for the Browns to be the five, even though it's frustrating to not get the division when you had a real shot at it. But these three teams uh, do present, although on the road, yeah, not fun. No. do present a chance to really, really win a playoff game here. Here's the thing I would say, Jake. There's not another team in the playoffs or in the hunt that I would rather play than these three AFC South. Like, if you rank the entire AFC, my yeah. the teams I would most like to see in order are the Jags, the Colts, the Texans, and then it's probably the Steelers at four. Yeah. But I, I would rather see any of those three AFC t- South teams than the Steelers. I, I would agree with that. I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah. Especially home road stuff, right? Um, right, exactly. All right, let's last close on some early All-Pro stuff. A friend of the uh, NFL world, Bill Barnwell, 
I am loose with that because some of the takes have gotten crazier as the years have gone on. But he put out a list of 50 all pro players. I think that's how he labeled it, Andrew. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think he labeled it. That's as right. First all pro team. team. Yep. And uh, the only Browns player period to make the list as a first team is Denzel Ward, which I think is fair. I think Denzel's had a really good season. So Denzel's his first team all pro corner alongside Deron Bland. Second team is Teron Johnson and Sauce Gardner. I'm sure Jets fans will, you know, be raging about not getting Sauce Gardner on there, but those are the four corners. Sorry, Legereus Sneed is the other corner. There's three of, of them justifiably. Uh, Legereus Sneed and then uh, the backup over there is Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson's really good. <laughs> He's really good. I, I have a hard time leaving him out of that whole thing. I'm not I'm not of the belief, Andrew, that that Denzel is going to get a first team all pro nod here. I actually think he's going to get a second team. I agree. But but Barnwell has him in first in the first team, and that's just kind of cool to see. I, th- I think Jake he had to do it to cover his tracks from his Miles Garrett take. I think that I think yeah. he had to do it to kind of get away with murder on the Miles Garrett thing because that it's like throwing Browns fans a bone, so to speak. Let's get into that then. So he he decides that his first team edge rushers are TJ Watt and Micah Parsons. I have no problem with Micah Parsons whatsoever. Very talented football player. I think the second best 1B to Miles Garrett's 1A. I view them in the same realm. I don't know how you feel, Andrew, about Parsons. but I Oh, think absolutely. He's a special, yeah. special Those player. are the two best pass rushers in the league. And the thing, Jake, is that the, the stats overall, unless you're just looking at sacks, back that up. And the eye test backs that up. Yes. The, the, it's all, all the evidence is just, it's, it's, there's nothing, there's no differentiating evidence unless you want to start talking about the the BS stuff that Barnwell starts talking about in terms of giving TJ Watt credit for winning games single-handedly, yeah. which is as lazy, as lazy as NFL journalism gets. He because- starts off by saying this is a tough competition on the list. And he spends the first paragraph on TJ Watt laying out a bunch of other names. Right. Okay. I'm not even going to go into it, but that's what he says. And then he said, let me start with the guy who has to be on here. He has to be on there, according it's to malpractice. Barnwell. It's malpractice. Watt is tied for the league lead in sacks with Trey Henderson, who, who, who Henderson gets no consideration. Not even in his list of names in the paragraph above did Henderson get mentioned, but he's tied with Henderson in this ever-so-important sack number thing, with both AFC North players standing at 17 with a game to go. He, suffer, he's, he has stuffed the stat sheet in all kinds of ways. Four forced fumbles, same as Garrett. Three fumble recoveries, right place, right neat. time, ball neat. bounces, right Really neat. That's so neat. An interception. I will give him credit. That interception of Stafford was a nice play at a big moment. Six pass breakups, which are swatting the ball down at the line of scrimmage and a touchdown, which he scooped up Alex Highsmith's work to go into the end zone. So here's the funny thing. He says big plays from Watt helped seal narrow victories for his team over the Browns, Ravens, and Rams. The Steelers aren't in the playoff picture without Watt on the field. Holy shit. That's so much to unpack. It's First so of bad. all, he's giving the Steelers edge uh, edge credit to Watt in a game that they beat the Browns in which Alex Highsmith dropped into coverage and made an excellent tipped interception, returned it to the house all on his own doing, and also was the one who had the strip sack to force the ball into Watts hands for the touch. Highsmith has been the better player this year. I contend that on his own team, mm-hmm. he's been the better player. Mm-hmm. Watts getting credit for that. The irony of all irony as miles is listed as second team below TJ Watt is that he goes into the Micah Parsons explanation 
from the exact right perspective. Yep. He said by virtually every underlying pass rush metric besides sacks, Parsons is the NFL's best edge rusher. His 36.7 pass rush win rate is the best mark on the edge by more than six points. Miles Garrett would be here if not for a shoulder injury that slowed him down over the previous six games is second at 30.5. But if you look at snaps, pressure to snap number, Miles Garrett leads the entire NFL, right? Because he doesn't play as many snaps as these guys. Right. Nobody else is over 26%. Will Anderson, who you just talked about, so this is a great example of his uh, ability, is third at 25.9%. So <laughs> I'm not going to go through all of this further than it needs to be no, gone through. it's illogical. He's saying, again, at the bottom, Parsons only, only air quotes, has 13 sacks and one force fumble. So he's saying one edge rusher can just be the old school stats, and this one is going to be where we actually look at the collective player. He has Max Crosby listed as second team behind Parsons. Okay. I, I actually am dumbfounded by the stupidity of this whole thing yeah. dumbfounded by it so my natural reaction when i see stuff like this and i kind of had this a little bit when you brought this up pre-show is i just kind of go like whatever man like because by his own logic that he lays out in the piece he's wrong he he makes himself wrong i don't have to make him wrong he's wrong he the way he lays this argument out makes himself wrong because he's wrong on the facts about what and then as you mentioned he uses one set of statistics for one player and a different set of statistics for the other player. So there's no logical consistency within his argument. And when I read stuff like that, my first thought is, okay, if he's not going to bother to make his own argument logically consistent, I don't want to engage with it. Yeah. Because it's the same thing as somebody basically saying, I know you are, but what am I? It's not, it's not in the realm of actually trying to talk rationally about what these players are doing it's just in the realm of vibes he's just going on vibes that's it's really as simple as that and i also think i'll just add this if the steelers don't luck into two games where mason rudolph is is able to kind of competently quarterback them there's no way this is how this is set up there's there's no way if the steelers are right now and seven and to nine tj watt has not done anything over the past two games that is even entering into this conversation Yep. He's he's been mostly a non-factor recently. Yeah, it's it's an awful take. It's an absolutely awful take. I don't want to spend any more time on it other than to say these are the guys who vote for these awards that we have to we have to listen to them give those give those examples. And and like it's not something that we can totally brush off because they're yeah. deciding the important awards. And, that's and that the, that's sucks. The point, is that he he's, sucks. Yeah, he's got to vote. The only other Brown that gets some respect here that we should, unless you have something else to add. Well, I was just going to say, he gets a vote and he's probably smarter than some other guys that have got a vote. So it's, it's when these results don't conform to what you see on a weekend, week out basis, you know, it's because a lot of the guys that have a vote watch less football than you and I do. I don't know about miles winning defensive player of the year. I feel like it's a coin flip, but if he's not a first team, all pro that's an, it's an absolute embarrassment to the NFL. If that were to be the route that actually comes to fruition again, defensive player of the year, I can see someone else getting it. It's possible, but to not be all pro first team would be just a laughing stock. The only thing that else that really excites me is that JOK getting some love. So uh, the first team inside linebackers are Fred Warner uh, and, and Roquan Smith, n none of which are a surprise, uh, but JOK getting a second team alongside Quincy Williams. I feel like it's very justified. I feel like JOK's had a phenomenal year. I do think there might be a, a world in which he's still not well-known enough amongst these voters who don't even do as much research as Barnwell, and he doesn't get that recognition, but I hope he does because he's had a special year and he's been one of the two best 
I'll give Denzel credit here too. So that'd be wrong. So I say three best defenders the Browns have had on a team that is historically special uh, on the defensive side of the football. So uh, again, JOK Denzel Ward, I think deserve recognition. I don't know that Denzel gets a first team, but, but the mile stuff is we had to bring it up because it's so bad. It's just so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. And it, and as I said at the beginning, the, all of the rate stats that actually pay attention to how often the players on the field and their overall impact, not just the sack number, conform to putting on the tape and watching these players play. Yep. TJ Watt can be can be singled up often against another team's right or left tackle and and the the offense that's opposing him can survive. You can ignore TJ Watt at times on the field because he doesn't win routinely. Nope. He he and the the reality of my, Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett is that they both constantly draw the full attention of the opposing offense with chips, with double teams, with help from a running back. They change offenses, and T.J. Watt doesn't. It's as simple as that. The rate stats tell you that, and the film tell you that. So to to not understand that and see that, what it what again? What it does is then you have to throw the whole article out because if he's misunderstanding this, he's yeah. probably misunderstanding a lot of things about the league. I think that's very fair, and I think that's been a criticism Barnwell is justifiably deceived for his platform. Uh, for a little while here so we're gonna close that's it a lot of discussion on schedule stuff a lot of discussion on uh the playoff scenarios there's there's a lot of fun coming this sunday to see who fills out the bracket and where they stand and uh and all of that and it'll be your last full sunday of nfl football right as college football wraps up today here on new year's day um with with one remaining game after that it's kind of getting to the world andrew where this is nearing an end which makes me sad it makes me really sad we got like another six weeks jake well, let's hope. Well, the Browns got to go on a four-game win streak after this one, so we'll, yeah. we'll make them come to fruition there. But as far as the whole slate, the all-packed Sunday, you're right. You're right. We are it's, we are yeah, losing those. Week. And your you hopefully your fantasy championships came to fruition for some of you, um, you know, and you're enjoying that. And I hope your New Year's is great and your New Year's Eve and all of that stuff has worked out exactly as you have hoped. We're excited about where this podcast is going this year, and that you guys who are clearly consistent supporters will be there to help us along that journey. We're very pumped about that. So again, uh, from us, myself, Andrew, we wish you guys a happy new year, uh, a very healthy, happy 2024. And we're excited to bring you tons of Brown con- Brown's content in that time. So, um, you know, we'll uh, check in with you guys tomorrow as well. Try to keep things uh, pushing forward and looking at what the Browns are ultimately going to do. We'll hear from the team in the coming days about maybe a little bit more of their plans and the health of some of those guys will keep you, I'll keep you in the loop about all of that. There's a lot of information coming in the next week, and then all of a sudden it'll be playoff time and we can start to have some really fun banter around that. So, again, for myself and Andrew, we're out of here. We appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. A happy new year to everybody, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.